welcome everybody to the very, very first podcast of We Talk Photo for the year 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, Happy New um, Year. And, happy uh, New Year, of course, absolutely. Of course, we've got um, my co... What do we call each other, John? Co- co-host. Co-host John Peterson down in Portland. And I'm up here um, kind of between Tacoma, Washington and, and Mount Rainier. And uh, and it's the winter, and it's cold, and it's a pleasure to start off the year with, uh, and and you know, Joe probably hears this all the time, but um, I can't. We've done about ninety five or so podcasts, and I can't think, and I mean this, I can't think of anybody that I would rather have on than our guest today, Mr. Joe McNally. Joe, thank you for being here. I can't. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be invited. Happy to sit around and talk pictures to start off the year. And with us is uh, Joe's personal manager and publicist, Bill Fortney. <laughs> he also <laughs> happens to be my best friend in the world. And Bill, thank you for being here. Um, um, I want to checks in the mail. We've got Bill. We've got a little bit of time that we spent together with Joe. A little bit. Bill's a lot more than me. But I thought having Bill here would add to the um, to the to the conversation. And thank you for being here. Anyhow, um, you know when we told Joe that we were going to do this podcast, we told him how low keyed we were, and uh, and and uh, Joe w- will fit in perfectly. Um, I don't think we need to go through Joe, and we have somebody on. We normally say, "Well, tell us a little about yourself." That's like wearing one of those "Hello, my name is" badges, <laughs> you know, kind of weird. So, I, I think pretty much anybody who knows anything about photography should know the name Joe McNally. Um, you know, and and I know Joe well enough to know that he's very humble and will not sit here and tell you everything that he's done. But it would take less time for us to tell you what Joe hasn't done. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jack, you're being very, you're being very kind. Photographer for a long time. Yeah. You know, almost <laughs> as long as Bill. I can't, you know, I'm not sure we're, we're both up there in terms of. Nobody's been in it as long as I have. So. <laughs> I'll tell you about Joe McNally. Um, That's a good thing. You can you can say in a short sentence or two. There's almost nothing he hasn't done, and nothing that he's ever done he hadn't done expertly. But more important than that, those people who know him well know that he's one of the nicest, most down to earth, generous, considerate, kind people they've ever met, and the people who call him a friend consider that one of their greatest honors to have him as a friend and and i fall in that category of uh, uh, some of the people that feel that way but i i've worked with joe a number of times and knew him all the time i worked for nikon and i'm constantly amazed at what he can do with a camera and with lighting and with and more important than all of that dealing with people and getting them to show the side of themselves that we all really want to see and, and learn and um, so I, I just, besides loving him to death, I have an immense respect for him as a, as an artist uh, and as a craftsman. So I just that's that sums it up for me. And, and you know, folks, this is just audio, but when we're doing this podcast, the four of us actually are sharing our video cameras, so we can see each other. I'm looking at Joe's office, and I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five National Geographic covers. Am I correct, Joe? That's probably more than that. And uh, anyhow, Joe's done it all. Joe, thank you for being here. Um, thank you, thank you all, and thank you for your, all your kindness. And as I say, it's an honor to be on and start off the year with you know just talking about pictures. It's always it's in our blood. You know, we all love it, and uh, it's you know honors us occasionally with a, a terrific frame and then of course kicks us in the side of the head every once in a while when we have a bad day it's it's just one of those ongoing things it's a lifelong pursuit yeah yeah it certainly is um what do you what have you been up to what i know it's the year ended probably not a whole lot recently but we kind of never stop what do you what have you been doing and where have you been and 
what do you have coming up? Sure, we have a lot actually coming up in 23 for sure. Annie and I are in a bit of a lull right now, which is really happy, happy for that, just to stay home. Had a, a pretty busy 22, ups and downs, you know, um, and the usual drill for a photographer. We closed off the year, um, well, I, I went to Romania uh, and I shot an annual report in November, which was really kind of wild, you know, because annual reports have kind of gone extinct, you know, in, in lots of ways. Used to be a very big market for that kind of thing. But uh, I got a call from a production house I'm very friendly with in Romania, I went off to do that. And then I met Annie in London and we did some teaching and an, an assignment for Pro Photo in, in London and then had a few days and then we came home. And I've been home since and looking at a, at a busy year coming up for sure. And, you know, part of that busy year is getting together with with Bill and all of Jack, you know, all the folks out in um, out in Arizona. Yeah, and we'll talk about that here toward the end. Um, and it's it's uh, honor to have you there as well, um, Bill. You had a great question that we wanted to that we were talking about prior to hitting the record button. Um, this would be a great time to bring that up about how things are moving around in our. Yeah, I just. Uh... Joe, you've been doing this for such a long time, and you've had a very diverse career. How do you see professional photography changing over the past few decades? And what, I guess, kind of the state of the of the uh, situation of the state of photography right now? Good question. Maybe we could take the whole podcast, kind of taking that one apart. Um, but I'll, I'll be be brief you know uh, it's a cascade of change obviously i started with film and i i started with you know black and white triax on the streets of new york newspapers and wire services and then migrated into magazines and transparency film and uh, a portraiture lighting celebrity work uh you name it across the board uh, and uh, shooting for geographic and life you know demanded a s certain level of versatility you know which I really worked at, you know, because I like to work, you know, and people, I never wanted to say no to an assignment because I felt like I, I didn't have the skills to, to take it on. So, yeah, that was, you know, the career as I started. But, you know, when you're younger, you know, you haven't got the perspective or the wisdom to know that um, things change. You know, you, you're shooting you know, for these magazines, big, powerful magazines, you think like, this is just going to go on forever. This is fantastic. Well, it didn't, right? Uh, a lot of the magazines I shot for are gone now. And the digital revolution occurred. And I'm not uh, um, emotional about those days of transparency film. You couldn't drag me back to film kicking and screaming. Um, I've embraced the whole, you know, aspect of our digital revolution in our field. It's enabled us to do amazing things, communicate quicker with better quality and become more diverse in terms of, you know, the things that we could possibly imagine and then actually shoot, you know, on our own uh, without a huge crew and this and that. I mean, the technology is outrageous what we have, you know, uh, at our fingertips now. I'm sure, you know, Bill and I being longtime Nikon guys, you know, back when we were shooting F2s and F3s, a, a camera like the Z9 was science fiction, you know, um, just really didn't even think about that, that kind of technology that you could have in a small package in your hands. So yes, um, I, I love the changes. I love the acceleration of the technology as it serves, you know, the purpose of storytelling. I try not to be, you know, I, don't, I try not to worship the technology. I just try to use it in the best way I could imagine, um, you know, using it to try to further the objective of being a photographer, which at the end of the day is still the same now as it was back in the days of Matthew Brady and glass plates. Tell a good story, you know, and that's that mission has never gotten easier. That the kind of, I don't know, uh, smokescreen or something that we've all been sold is that the technology makes the job of the photographer easier, quote unquote, easier. And I would disagree with that. Uh, I think the technology facilitates the photographer, but I think telling stories, good stories is still uh, a pretty formidable challenge. 
and that's the ongoing, you know, uh, kind of task that we always face off with every single day we take a camera out into the world. Joe, uh, how do you deal with this iPhone, uh, uh, where the iPhone has crept into our world? Um, you know, we go, we run workshops now, people carry iPhones on cameras, which is sure. fine. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as what you just said. I'm fine. You know, the iPhone or the smartphones have a place in our life. It'll probably be a growing place in our life. That technology, I mean, you know, if technology has offered us any lessons over the years is that it's going to be ongoing and keep getting better. So the iPhone is part of our world. But at the same time, I... I feel the the real gift of being a photographer is perspective and shooting a smartphone is not going to enable you to launch that perspective or effectively pursue it or present it in the way that quote unquote, a real camera can do. And also coupled up with the fact of it being a DSLR or a mirrorless camera type of a situation, it's not just the camera I'm talking about. It's about the skill at using it. I always tell young photographers, you know, um, craft is the foundation upon which you build the house called art, you know? So you have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to vet a source. You have to be able to research a story. You have to have an essential um, component of curiosity. You have to drive yourself forward in terms of camera know-how and technique that makes you versatile in the field. You have to be able to turn on a dime. People says, well, you know, it's, this isn't going to work. We have to go inside or it's raining. We have to go inside. So, okay, got to know how to light or, you know, you get thrown into a situation as you would for a magazine or newspaper photographer. And I always bless those beginnings because it presented a wide range of challenges. Well, I got to go and cover the football game tonight. So I have to know how to shoot long lens. And then tomorrow I got to go onto the, onto a television set and shoot a glamour portrait of a television uh, celebrity. You know, these are all skills that you need to kind of pack into your bag. Yeah, there's no doubt. John, you, you, you and I talked about a couple of questions you had for Joe. Well, yeah. Well, I think first off, just sort of going off of something you said, Joe, around storytelling, how do you... How do you view and approach um, creating and telling a story for particular assignments? I mean, that's really where the craft is from from what you've described. Sure. Um, I've mentioned this actually a couple times with in company with Bill, who's, you know, uh, just an amazing storyteller, you know, himself. You enter into a situation and you have to remember that you're the eyes of people who will never be there. So I have a couple of formulas actually that I kick into when I'm confronted with the idea of telling a story. And, and that is a mantra I, re, I kind of recite in my head, um, entire to detail. So I place myself in uh, the shoes of someone who's gonna view my pictures, who's never gonna have the experience I'm about to have. I always took that very seriously. Like I've done some pretty nutty stuff for National Geographic. I've flown with the Blue Angels twice. I've taken 9.2 Gs. I've flown upside down. And that's all really cool. But at the same time, it's not a personal experience. It's not like, oh, wow, I, I, this is just going to be fun. No, you have to feel the responsibility at that point anyway, shooting for Geographic of like, you know, 30 million pairs of eyeballs relying on you, the photographer, to bring back a vibrant story to them and involve them in that story and pull them in, give them not only visual excitement, but also components of information, pictorial beauty, and hopefully at the end of the day, emotional involvement as well. So when you get to do this cool stuff, because you have a camera in your hand, you always remember that there's a tremendous responsibility that goes along with that. You have to be the eyes of people who cannot be there. And I, I take that very seriously. And so the other mantra I recite to myself out there in the field is, what is the story? What is the story? What, what is the mission of the day here? And how do I sort that out? And one of the ways, it sounds a little maybe mechanical, is, um, but the entire to detail thing, it gives me a framework, a structure. Okay, I got to show the whole thing. 
And then just like peeling an onion, I get closer and closer and closer to it. And hopefully I, at the end of a day, I've arrived at some measure of visual explanation so that someone who is never there with me can look at the pictures and say, oh, okay, I understand. You know, it's interesting you said that because it, when we do our image reviews, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, uh, I used to fall into that trap because this is how we were taught to say to the attendee, well, what's the subject? You have to have a subject. And, and that's true, but that's only part of it. The subject is part of the story. And I don't think enough of us workshop leaders ask our clients, what are you trying to do with this photograph? What, what's the story you're trying to tell before we start talking about the intricacies and, you know, the good and the bad of it? You know, I, I like to find out from the shooter, what were you thinking about? What are you trying to say here? And, you know, in the kind of work that I do, I mean, I have some, usually have some time to prepare this, the kind of work you do when you're in an airplane at, at nine G's, I can't imagine even holding a camera. Um, so you don't, well, you, you, you don't think, really. Nine G's. I think what you've learned to do, I think what Joe, what you've learned to do is anticipate better. And I think that's what separates you and the people who do the kind of work that you do from the pack is being able to anticipate uh, what somebody's going to look like, uh, you know, 10 seconds before they look like that, you know, I'm trying to say. That's, that's potentially true. I, I went to school, you know, I, I, I studied a lot, you know, the life photographers, the geographic photographers. I admire a tremendous number of photographers, both historically important and also nowadays, you know, um, and I just am always, you know, you can feel it, right? When you see a photograph that you know the photographer at work, you can see that photographer's mind working and then the co the camera complements that because their skill level is really, really excellent and, and they just tell a good story. And when you get that visually arresting picture that just kind of goes, whoa, you know, it makes you stop. And in a world that's moving very fast, right? Instagram, like click, click, click. People spend what, half a second with your picture? You know, yeah. if you get somebody to stop nowadays and get involved in your photograph and your story, then you've more than done your job. Hey, Joe. I saw Joe. I saw Joe do that. Um, I was honored to get to go with him to photograph some coal miners in eastern Kentucky. And he uh, photographed them when they had just come out of the mine after an eight-hour shift and covered with coal dust on their face. And I think we both were a little concerned. Here was this New York photographer coming into eastern Kentucky. And the initial reaction of the miners was of suspicion and not sure what they were doing and why was this guy here and what are all these lights. But I watched Joe connect with them and talk to them about their lives and what they did and how they felt about it. And it wasn't long before they had completely bought in to the story he wanted to tell because it was their story and he want, they wanted their story told and the suspicion was gone and the apprehensiveness was gone and the images that he created. And I was only sitting watching all of this. I had nothing to do with it except driving him down to the mines. But, um, it, it I saw the value of not only being interested in your subject and caring about the subject, but digging into what makes them tick and how that created incredible photographs. I had the honor later, Joe had some beautiful blow-ups made of each man and the groups, and I got to deliver them back to the mine site for him. And I can tell you, these are big, tough guys that do something very dangerous for a living. And, uh, there were more than a few eyes that weren't dry when they saw the portraits of themselves. And I, it, 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 it really kind of drove home for me that uh, there's a lot more to what we do than the technical part of getting shutter speed and aperture and lighting right. 
Um, and I, it it uh, it was a great. I, I just appreciate that I got to be a part of it by watching the whole process. Well, that was really your connections too uh, that got me down to that mine. And you're absolutely right. You know, um, you know, this guy from New York wants to take pictures. What's this all about? You know, I could see that for sure. And that's one of the things that you have to do as a photographer is, you know, you have to put the camera down and engage people as human beings. And I, I regard it actually as a, as a badge of honor, really. Um, then I was there for two days and the next day they invited me down into the mine. And uh, if they thought I was a jerk the first day, they probably wouldn't have done that. Nope. And so I went down into the mine, which was an amazing experience. And I got to see the world that they live in down there eight hours a day and how tough it is. And, you know, um, I've always celebrated labor work. I've always, you know, camera wise, I've always been drawn to the working person, you know, and I'm always curious about how do you make a living? What do you do? What's this all about? And the, the foreman took me into the office and he showed me some of the complexity of the drilling and the planning and the mapping that has to occur underground. And it was just an amazing day. And then, then Bill gave me the, the accolade when I came back out of the mine. He looked at me and says, well, Joe, now you're an official Kentucky coal mining man, <laughs> which I regarded as an honor. <laughs> well, there's not many people that get to go down in the mines and that you don't know what an honor it was that they invited you in because that's their territory. That's their terrain. And if they didn't trust you and they didn't think what you were doing was of any value, they would have said, thanks for coming. And there's, there's the road that takes you home. Um, but they really did want to make you a part of their family. And I, I was quite honored by that. Good bunch. So you did a book called, um, I, I have it downstairs at, I think it's called a, a moment. The moment. The moment it, it clicks. Am I correct? The it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and there were an immense amount of technical, not technical, uh, uh, tips for photographers to prepare for that moment that that shutter goes down. It's a great book. Everybody ought to have it. Um, is there a here? Here we go, Judd. Is there like a a top three is there, a, is there are there a couple things that you know because I, I know that our listeners are saying well if if he could give if he could tell us three things to do what would that be and it's probably 300 but you know yeah. well i've always likened the life of a photographer or the kind of skill set of a photographer to be kind of a mosaic it's bits and pieces that you kind of put it all together you know one of the things that i think is important to to do as a photographer is to read a lot uh, and and to kind of be observant of the world and see what trends are happening and and uh what interests you and and just i think for being an effective photographer has as a, a component just being aware and being aware of the human condition and uh, things that are happening and also respond to that information in a direction that you're passionate about you know uh you know i'm talking with some marvelous landscape photographers i mean you guys are amazing and the beauty that you bring back and that's been an advocation for for uh you for many many years me not quite as much you know in the sense that i love landscape and i've you know, I can, sh I, I love to shoot it when the opportunity presents, but I've been more of a people photographer. So you have to kind of gravitate towards um, that, which really moves you. And that's, that's an important thing because your photographs have to have a heartbeat. It, it, this is not, um, you know, it's another tip. If you want, don't think of this as a mechanical transaction or a transaction at all. It's not, it's an agreement. It's a partnership. When someone steps in front of your lens, that's a very vulnerable place to be. They are essentially giving you a gift and they're trusting you. They're saying, okay, all right, you can take my picture and then we'll see how it all goes. And you have to respond to, by accepting that gift and, uh, you know, caring, caring for it and keeping it protected. You know, in the, in the aftermath of 9-11, I did portraits of first responders and families and this and that. And the thing that, 
that we have always vowed at the studio um, was that none of those pictures ever would be used in an untoward fashion. So you have to become the good shepherd of that image and take care of that. And because someone extends to you emotionally, that's, that's important. And they're at risk. You know, I always submit for the photographer, you have to be at risk too behind the lens. You have to want this to work so badly. You have to be so committed to telling the story of the person in front of your lens that you'll just about, you know, do anything, you know, to make sure the story gets told properly. And, and you have to be uh, at risk. And when I say that, I'm not necessarily saying physical risk, but emotional risk. You have to be involved. You know, you, you know, you, f you have to feel people's pain or their joy or their sense of accomplishment, their pride, whatever it might be. You have to find a way to tell about that. Hey, Joe, I've, I've got a question for you. How, in looking at your final output, your images, how much of those are spontaneous versus carefully scripted and directed? Mm. Um, good question. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, a reputation for lighting things and, you know, and, you know, doing illustration work to a degree, you know, taking a concept or something like that. And, and creating a photograph that applies to that concept. And that's been a fair chunk of my portfolio to be sure. But you know, what's really, what's really kind of fun and, and odd in a way about, I don't know, maybe it's five, six, seven years ago, the Monroe Gallery down in Santa Fe, which is a gallery I'm very proud to be associated with. Finally came to me and said, it's time. You're gonna have a one man show. I was like, oh man. <laughs> and so I went down there and they had 50 pictures on the wall you know, it's a judgment call, but, you know, theoretically, these 50 pictures may be represented certainly a percentage of the best photographs I had shot in my whole career. And I looked around and uh, about 80% of them were available light and um, kind of mm -hmm. off the cuff or um, relatively spontaneous moments or moments where the light and my presence with the camera and the subject intersected at a moment that could potentially be called truth. And um, so I, I guess it's been a mixed bag. You know, I, I'm i a big believer in pre-visualization, but as I also teach, um, you know, I say, look, you know, you gotta be prepared to throw all that stuff out of the window because things could go in a different direction. You can bring a truckload of flashes with you but be prepared to not use them because the light might be right and the situation might be right. And all you have to do is effortlessly put your camera to your eye. So you have to be aware of those moments and hopefully in your quest for your pre-visualized results, you don't trample the, the very real moments that can occur. And that if you're too vectored in, you might, you might uh, bypass. Yeah. You might miss that spontaneity and that, that coming together of, um, that gestalt when things just work out wonderfully. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I was just Thank looking you. at each of you a minute ago and was thinking, I can't believe I'm sitting here with John and Jack and Joe and we're doing this together. And for me personally, this is something I just, I want to treasure this. I want to, this is a memory for me that's important. And I raised my camera and shot a picture of the screen with the four of us. And I think a lot of photography is just that we collect the things that matter to us. Um, there's things that we have interest in and we photograph them. And uh, it, it's our way of saying, you know, this is valuable enough. I want to I want to keep this. I, I, I think it was uh, Jay Mizell who said I think it was Jay who said that photography comes down to just two things. I want this to keep for myself or I want to share this with someone else. And I thought about it and I can barely think of a photograph that I've ever made that didn't fall into one of those two categories, either something I just wanted for me or something that I hoped I could share it with other people and that it would bring you know, either awareness or joy or um, concern or tell a story that was important. Um, I, 
I think the thing I enjoy about Joe uh, in work when I've worked with him is his focus is almost always outward towards the people that he's involved with, whether it's a student or a subject. Uh, it, it, and I think as a human being, uh, throw photography out the window. I think when we start living in a way that our concern is the people around us instead of our concern about ourselves, that's when we start to really live. Uh, that, that's that's when our life has real meaning. And uh, I appreciate that about Joe. And, and I appreciate that about John and Jack, too. I, I, I think that's just a, it's a powerful thing when we can let go of self-concern. And I think it makes us a much better photographer when we're concerned about what it is that we're involved with. Yeah, well, Joe does. You know, when you're working with people, and Bill, you and I and John, you know, we work with people on workshop situations. Joe's working with people on the street and with people that he, you know, may never see again or people that he just meets that day that, you know, he needs to communicate their story to people. I, man, that, that's a, that's a, that, that's a, that's, that's a, well, a tough nut to, well, to I, crack. It, it no. is, but you know, I'll also add that in listening to Joe talk about subjects and and being open to your subject, and I can relate a lot of those things to landscapes, to nature, to wildlife, and you know, because that's my primary subject, and and being in touch and in tune with my subject, and being open and vulnerable to what my subject is telling me, it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. No. It can be anything, um, and so that's 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 the beauty. No matter what kind of photography you do, a lot of these lessons are very transferable. To you know, depending on what you like to shoot. So, Joe, I've got I've got another question for you. Go ahead. You have had you know an amazing career and and some of the most incredible experiences and i'm a i'm a very experiential i love experiences in life and i think that's what life's about and and you know you touched on flying with the blue angels which has been on my bucket list and and i saw a video from you a few years ago hanging off the side of burj khalifa you know the tallest building in the world which just gave me vertigo just watching the video what would be your top experience or, or a couple of experiences in, throughout your career? Good question. Uh, There's too many, a little probably. You know, to, you know, to, to think about that and, and try to isolate things. I've been, I've been really blessed, you know, um, to have uh, seen some amazing things and been in the company of amazing people. Uh, you know, one of the gifts this industry or being a photographer gives you is that you are oftentimes sent to witness greatness, right? You're sent someplace because, say, you mentioned landscapes. You're, you go out, right, to this extraordinary place because it is so beautiful. I'll get sent to photograph someone because their talent is astonishing, you know, be it a, a, a musician or an actor or an author or a doctor or whoever might be that I'm, I'm sent to photograph because they've potentially done something truly extraordinary. So you, you do have, you assemble some of those moments for sure in the course of a, of a career. And some of the physical stuff has been great. I mean, you know, flying and, you know, all sorts of tactical aircraft and this and that that's that's fun to do to be sure i've always been an advocate of getting my camera in a different place and hence i started climbing things a long time ago <laughs> which but you know I, I mean i i guess you know i could maybe point to one thing it's a long time ago it's not even like a necessarily a high moment but i'll just bring this up because you know, I negotiated with the Burj Khalifa tower for three years to get to the top of that thing. And since then, I've, I've actually gone up again and I got a little bit of training in emergency rescue, you know, tactics. And I punted off the side of the building with the window washers. 
and I went down a couple thousand feet of building, and that was also very cool. But I started doing this a long time ago because here's the, here's the thing about being a photographer. It's a competitive business, and there was this guy in New York. I was not even a photographer. I was a studio apprentice at the New York <laughs> Daily News, and it had to be like 1977. And there was Kaplan. this son of a Sorry? Robert B. Kaplan? Peter B. Kaplan, yes. Peter B. Kaplan, yeah. Yeah, Peter B. Kaplan kind of owned the sky. He was, like, shooting all this high-wire stuff in New York. And I'll just say that we didn't get along, you know. <laughs> and um, and I was determined to beat him up to the Queensboro Bridge. They were, were repainting the Queensboro Bridge, famous bridge span in New York. And so I just took my cameras one morning. And uh, I borrowed the 15 millimeter lens from the New York Daily News photo locker. There was only one, that old 15 Nikkor rectilinear. My boss looked at me and he said, do me a favor. If you fall off the bridge, try to leave this lens behind, um, which gave me an indication of how much he valued me. Um, and I went up there on the bridge and I walked over to the foreman. I said, hey, I'm with the New York News. I'm supposed to go up with the guys today to do a story. He looked over at, uh, you know, hey, Charlie, this guy's from the news. Take him up. Try to do that now. I, my name wasn't on a single piece of insurance or permissions. I didn't have a badge or anything at all. I wasn't even a, a full-blown photographer. I climbed that bridge freehand. No safety belts, no nothing. And I'm on the outside of the cable. Next stop is the East River. And I'm sliding back down because the bridge is slick with paint. And I ended up, I spent the entire day at the top of the bridge with all those painters. And I got a front page story in the New York Daily News. Uh, actually, no, it was UPI. I, I sent it in. Daily News said, you know, you're not a staff photographer. So why don't you do yourself a favor, give it to UPI, and then maybe we can run it after that. But I was just so determined. I was so cussed. I was so competitive. When I was a younger photographer, oh, my God, it's like a sickness that takes you over. You just and thankfully, I've grown up a bit and I'm much more relaxed about it now. But I was I was just, you know, determined to get to the top of that bridge before he did. I've got a magazine cover signed to me from Peter um, from many, many years ago, back when he did the book High Nudes. I guess you remember that from many years ago. Yep. He was a character. For sure. He was. He broke a lot of ground. That's for sure. You know, he got permission. He did the Statue of Liberty. Um, he, you know, that was a, a major effort on his part. And we, we kept bouncing into each other. You know, um, I just published on my blog a picture I made of the New York Marathon that I was, I was standing on the cables of, of the Verrazano on a very wet morning. I didn't have climbing shoes or anything with me. But I found when I went to the race promoters to get my credential that Peter B. had had arranged for permission, they'd be up on the cables to get a different point of view. And I said, well, if he's going up there, I'm going up there. And I stood <laughs> my ground and they, they put me up there and Peter was like, not happy with me. And he said, well, you, you have to stand behind me. You go further up the cable. So I worked my way further up the cable with these stupid shoes and this slick, you know, round surface I'm trying to hang on to. And the guy who dropped us off in the cherry picker, he just said, have a nice time up here. Next stops the river. <laughs> but I just was so like, you know, I was like a dog with a bone. It wasn't uh, that, all that, that admirable. The, would that be the craziest thing, Joe, you've ever done? No. What no. is the craziest thing you've ever done? Uh, it'd be hard for me to figure that out, Jack. You know, You're in a workshop with me, probably. <laughs> yeah. That's, there's that. There's that. Going into the wilds of the uh, of the Tennessee woods with Bill Fortney. And I live to tell the tale. Yeah, here in banjos. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got a lot ahead of you. Um, you, you. You plan on keeping working as long as, I mean, none of us are ever going to retire. You know, but just, what do you, Jack, when are you going to retire? I'll retire when I heal over. But what do you, where, where do you think you want to, you want to just keep doing what you're doing or is there something new you, you're looking to do or? Well, yeah, no, I'll always be a photographer and I'll continue to work and that feels pretty good. I still have good energy and, you know, um, 
you know, keep myself going uh, and stay curious, basically stay curious, stay hungry and, uh, and realize too, that you have to feed your eye, you know, you can't just lay dormant. And uh, so I, I, you know, to the extent that I need to, if I find something that I want to do, I, I will within the bounds of reason, self-fund it and go after it because I'd rather, you know, have a, 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 a new picture than a new lens generally speaking, you know, so I'll keep going. Uh, I enjoy the writing, you know, I, I've got back into writing my blog and I did another book um, recently. I wrote it during the pandemic, which was a little bit of a, a personal silver lining for me of the, you know, otherwise completely horrible pandemic is, you know, that I had uh, some time uh, to write a new book, you know, it's called the, uh, the real deal field notes from the life of a working photographer. Yeah. And, you know, that was fun to write. So I, I find myself enjoying writing as well, back at the blog, doing that regularly. And um, I have a couple of, well, not a couple, but, you know, I have a notion for a novel, <laughs> which will probably remain the great unfinished novel. But, um, you know, I'm taking a plug at it, you know, we'll see what happens. And then Annie and I, the, the beauty of doing this for me in the last eight, 10 years is that Annie's working with the studio. So we're able to work together and we have our morning meetings. We try to figure things out. We travel together. Oftentimes that's been the real gift of this to me because photography can be a very solitary process, right? You're sent someplace, you get on a plane, you go away, you leave everything that you're familiar with. I always tell young photographers, I said, look, if you're really going to commit to doing long-term long form reporting, you have to let your life go and commit to that story. And I liken it to like getting onto the boat without having a single notion of where that boat is going. You just have to release, you know? And so for me, as I've, as I've gotten older and, you know, Annie and I are together and, you know, a real powerful gift is that we can stay together even when I'm working. No doubt with that. That's so it's an important thing, as as we all know. Um, Joe, I was talking with a friend of mine last night, and I told him that you were going to be on. And his first his first thing to me was ask him to tell the world uh, the uh, the uh, story about the uh, the nine uh, eleven situation that you were so intimately involved with. Uh, I know that's a long story. Um, could you do it in cliff notes for us? Sure. Um, yeah, I'll be as brief as I can. Um, you know, 9-11 occurred, massive tragedy felt all around the world, but obviously particularly in New York and New York, I didn't, you know, I hadn't been living in New York for a while, but New York for me has always been an emotional center. It's been a, uh, a muse photographically, you know, that's where I first started working with a camera. And uh, I just felt like I had to make a contribution on some level. And, uh, I had had an experience, very brief experience, uh, doing a small story about this very unusual photographic instrument, one of a kind, nothing else like it in the world. And it was the world's only giant Polaroid camera. And it would make an image at an image area of 40 inches by 80 inches. It was a life-size camera. And so if a person was six feet tall, you know, in real life, they would be six feet tall in the photograph. And it processed the same way Polaroid does. 90 seconds, peel the back off, you've got a life-size image laying there on the floor. The camera itself was the size of a one-car garage. So the beauty of shooting that camera was that you could actually slide the door open after the exposure was made, wait for the Polaroid to develop, and your photo subject could come right inside the camera with you and watch, you know, this back get peeled off and see themselves life-size on the floor. And um, we had tough guys, you know, New York City firefighters, cops just go to pieces when they saw that the picture of themselves, you know, and it was a way for me, that life-size aspect of the camera was a way of honoring these people, it, it, it has a stature, the camera, it's kind of a mix of, of 
old time photographic principles and some new technology. The camera itself was the invention of Dr. Land at the Polaroid company. So I thought it would be a good instrument that could be brought to bear. And we ended up photographing, I don't know, it was, I've lost the numbers a little bit in my head, but you know, 200 plus, you know, people and it became a show and a book and it helped raise um, a great deal of money for the relief effort, which was donated to downtown public education. Uh, Cause all the schools down in lower part of Manhattan closed, you know, they, they needed uh, funding to sort of, you know, re recycle and start over again, uh, given they were living within stone's throw of this incredible tragedy. Is that, are those so, the images that became Faces of Ground Zero? Yes. And okay. it became a show. The, the frames are, frames are four and a half feet by nine feet. They each weigh about 250, 300 pounds. Um, and so they are, they had to be stacked in crates and, and uh, literally forklifted around if you wanted to, to set up a show, you know, and it toured. It toured six cities. It, it opened uh, for the first time in January of 2002 at Grant Central Station in New York. And it was seen by many, many, many um, tens of thousands of people. I was there with you when that was shown. Yep. Do those still exist? Are they somewhere? Yes. Um, it was a long road uh, that we traveled as a tiny studio. I didn't take a fee for shooting it. You know, we took all the money that Time Time Warner was our benefactor, um, and uh, we took all the money they gave us and threw it at the camera because every exposure I made uh, at the time was every single frame was three hundred dollars. Wow! Um, and uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So we had a, a little bit of a tough road after uh, that, you know, because the. Uh, the crates ended up being about 10 tons of photography um, in museum quality storage, which is not cheap. It was like no. having an extra mortgage for many, many years. But, uh, you know, God bless Annie. She's very patient. Um, you know, we just labored through it. I said, I can't, I can't just sell it or get rid of it or, you know, not that I, anybody was interested I said I have a responsibility so um, here's a, here's a good thing about staying the course um, at 10 years we did a, a, a anniversary show 9-11 and I liaisoned with this outfit huge real estate outfit in New York called related which runs the Time Warner building at Columbus Circle very fancy building <laughs> I got no lawyer you know with me or nothing I and I signed these papers and I said, I'm going to do this. And I started raising money. And thankfully, some, some companies, you know, stepped up, Johnson & Johnson, you know, a variety of people stepped up. And, but we ended up falling short of funds. All right. So Annie and I were like, okay, we, we'll handle it somehow. And uh, but then the, the real estate outfit came back and said, uh, you need to have, per our policies, you have to have bonded, licensed, insurance art handlers to bring in the show and bring it out, which would have added another twenty to $30,000 to the bill. So I called up Louis Caccioli, who's the cover of the book. And I said, Louis, this is, this is going to just break me, you know? And he said, give me a few days. And when the show went in and when the show went out about... 60, 70, New York City firefighters showed up. All we gave them were snacks and Gatorade. Came in about 10 o'clock at night when the show was going to open the next day, and they put up the whole show for free. And I went back to Related, and I said, I've got FDNY going to come in with the show. You got a problem with that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you want to run that by your legal department? You know? And they said, oh, well, no, we'll make an exception for the fire department. Nice. Wow. So the FDNY saved my butt. So Joe, I got Great. I got one more question on my list for you. Sure. 
what do you personally enjoy shooting the most? What brings you the most passion? Because uh, um, you well, do a lot of commercial work. So what, what really floats your boat? Yeah, I mean, anything that, that sort of um, pokes my imagination allows me to roam around a little bit. That, that I really do enjoy. I mean, as a genre, I've, I've photographed dance for many years, uh, informally in lots of ways, but I've always enjoyed the beauty of ballet and the human form uh, that is uh, associated with that very, very elevated art form. So in a particular genre, I could say dance, but in a broader sense, people and anything that kind of gets my imagination going and and I guess there's a marriage there because, you know, dancers are, are wonderful, wonderfully physically adept. And so a dancer, if you go to them with a concept or an idea, they can literally physicalize your imagination, which to me is always an amazing thing to have that collaboration uh, at the lens. It's pretty wonderful. So, yeah, so I love to, I love to roam around in my head, you know, and I, I always tell Annie, I said the most... The most valuable time I have at my desk is um, those moments during the day where I'm just staring out the window. Yeah. Well, I can, thank I, you. I could second that. Um, Bill, is there anything you want to say before we uh, talk about MNLP here? Or... No, just it's been an honor to be on this uh, this podcast with you all. Oh, that's feelings mutual. Well, you know, Joe is going to be part, um, folks that are listening to this. Uh, I've, you've heard Joe for the last 45 minutes or so, and I, I think you you know why we're so excited to have Joe with us um, as part of the faculty of uh, the Masters of Landscape and Nature Photography uh, Symposium that I, I have to tell you, I, I wish it was my idea, but it was really Bill's idea. Bill said, what do you think about doing this? And we talked about it, and and, and it's going to happen uh, in Tucson uh, late October of this year. Um, maybe I should let Bill talk about this a little bit. Uh, information for everybody is at mnlp.net. We, we abbreviated the the name Masters of Landscape of Nature and Landscape Photography. Anything you need to know is there. John did a great job putting that website together. Um, Bill, just quickly, the concept behind this. You'll do it better than me. Well, we just wanted to get um, together a team of people that we thought would be the most um, inspirational and um, informative teachers in the nature and landscape field and, and the field of photography in general, and to take them to a location that was um, a, a great place to shoot where there was a great variety of subject matter. And then uh, inspired by uh, the the uh, symposium that we used to do or uh, in the Smokies, which we decided to move it to a new location, change the name, and... Um, it was a concept that other people have done as well and done it very well. I got to take part in one in the Smokies this past spring, and I was just impressed with the, uh, where the all the students get to be with each of the leaders in the field for a session over the time that it exists. So everybody gets to rub shoulders with the people that they've admired and enjoyed their work and learn from them and, and be in small enough groups that you could actually have some real conversations with Joe and Scott Kelby and uh, just a variety of great people that are going to be there. And uh, so we put it together. We're hoping that uh, we get the sufficient number of people we need to pull this thing off. Uh, so we're excited about it. And, and you know, the, the other folks that will be there, um, of course, you mentioned along with Joe Scott, uh, Scott Kelby, who's been on this podcast. Um, maybe we'll get him on again. Scott's always fun to talk to. Uh, Colleen Minnick, one of my dear friends and a great photographer, a great teacher. Steve Gettle, Ken Jenkins, and and, and uh, of course Ian Plant, who's been who we had on John what a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, and uh, so the faculty, you know, along the faculty to get all these people in in one place, it's it's like All Star Game weekend, you know. I mean, it's 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 like the Pro Bowl, you know. It's it's just to get every this this these this roster of great teachers and photographers in one place. And, and we've managed to pull that off, thanks to everybody. Um, not to be long-winded, but again, uh, it's a three-and-a-half-day situation, uh, direct um, working with each each of the uh, leaders in the field and then some uh, some classroom work. Um, MNLP.net is where you can find that. Um, it is limited to a certain amount of people. What's it, Bill, 75? Seventy-five, and I think we have a little more than twenty-five or more already signed up at this point. So, um, if you want to check that out, let us know or send send an email to John or me or Bill, and and uh, we we can answer any questions. Um, this is a stupid thing to say. Are we leaving anything out? We could keep <laughs> Joe here for hours. <laughs> you know, um, where are you off to next, Joe? The next big trip is where? Uh, Norway. You know, Annie, Annie's worked very hard to orchestrate a destination workshop. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, we're, we're filled with, you know, uh, full up with really excellent photographers, wonderful friends among them. And we're taking a whole group to uh, the uh, Lofoten Islands. And okay. we're going to ch- chase the Northern Lights and chase sea eagles. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be channeling my best landscape version of myself learning from all of you gentlemen you know joe fuji sent me um a prototype of the xh1 their first camera that had in-camera stabilization i got it today before i left for hokkaido uh a few years ago and the files are great but every time i took a burst of any more than three friends i had to take the battery out to reset the camera but we got out on one of these boats um to photograph the stellar sea eagles and you couldn't bring a tripod. And man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I took a lot of frames. I have about five frames. If you looked at me, you, you'd say, boy, Joe McNally took those. But I took about 8 million frames to get those five. <laughs> You're going to have a time. John and I have both been to that area. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really, really beautiful and colorful. And it's become kind of a destination now, but it's really a great place. You're, you're going to, I can't wait to see your stuff from there. Um, uh, it's a pretty place on earth, that's for sure. It really is. really is. Well, um, anything I'm leaving out, John? No, sir. I think we've covered it um, without taking up too much of Joe's time. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you again for being here. It's been our honor to have yes, um, thank you here. And, uh, Bill, we've managed to keep this uh, stain podcast. We didn't tell too many, at a, at a, at, you know, stories that we probably could tell. Um, we'll save those for MNLP. We, we could entertain people down there. It's kind of like the outtakes of our of our time, you know. But Joe, thank you so much for being here, folks. Um, Joe McNally, um, and again, this is a he won't do it. I'll do it. Buy his books and read them. Um, and, it, it, and his books overlapped to all kind of photography on, on how to how to get the story and, uh, and uh, just 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 how to be a, a better photographer, you know. Um, thank you all for being here. So, uh, John will post some stuff on show notes on the website wetalkphoto.com. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to our email address, which is. We talk photo at gmail.com. And uh, John, what am I leaving out? Um, Not a um, thing, Jack, other than Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Have, everybody have a safe, healthy, happy new year and, uh, and get out and uh, hold a camera. It's, it's good mental health. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you all next time. Well, thank all of you. Uh, honored to be invited. I've got your website up right here. And you got a link to Jack's gift guide, all that stuff, all that great stuff. So I'm looking forward already to um, being out there in the desert with all of you. It's going to be fun. Be good. And uh, William, I'll give you a call in an hour or two. Okay. God bless to all of you guys.
Thank you. All right. Thank you, Joe. See you guys. All right. Thank you.